They shift him from right to left. Play action to that side. Rolling right, looking. Fires in the end zone. Got a man. Oh, touchdown. That's a tight end from 15 yards out. Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, Season 3, Episode 20. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by Senior Columnist and Editor-in-Chief for College Football at The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest is a senior columnist and editor-in-chief for College Football at The Athletic and is also the co-host of the Audible podcast. He has over 25 years of professional experience, having also worked for Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports. Please welcome to the show, Stuart Mandel. Stuart, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nick. So this is our final podcast of the 2023-24 season. It's year three. So this is my 61st podcast, Stuart. Now, I am not a trained media professional, but I play the role as host. Um, typically... That, that, that is what you're trained at. You interview people. You've interviewed me many times. Uh, I don't interview people as a profession. I get interviewed. Um, so these, it's a little, little uh, role reversal here. So we'll start out with a few questions. I'll, I'll ask you these questions, but I, I think it'd be fun for us in the, in the middle of this to take a little time and maybe talk about some of the challenges that are facing college football in general that are impacting bowl season. And we could have a little dialogue back and forth and we'll see if uh if nick and stewart can solve all of college football's problems. oh yeah for sure it's an easy so it's an easy fix so i'm sure we can get to it in 10 minutes we'll get that done no one else has been thinking about it yeah well i'm gonna kick kick it off with the obvious college football playoff is all wrapped up we have a national championship uh champion great game last night michigan wolverines uh was a fun game to watch what are some of your thoughts on this year's playoff and uh, also talk to us about what are you looking forward to next season with the new 12-team playoffs uh, kicking off? Well, it was a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, mixed emotions because on the one hand, you know, I really, really vehemently disagreed with the decision to leave Florida State out. Um, I think that this is a sport where if you go 13-0 and in a major conference, you should be rewarded. And I wasn't comfortable with the committee trying to predict how they would play without their quarterback. Now, the flip side of that is um, we had two amazing semifinals, right? And I don't, you know, it may well be that if Florida State had tried to play that game, we saw how good Michigan, we saw Michigan completely shut down Michael Penix. That probably would not have, uh, uh, you know, foretold good things for for Florida State's backup quarterback. So the, you know, hurt and disappointment for Florida State um, gave way to two fantastic semifinals and really you know, in 10 years of this system, that was the best um, semifinal doubleheader we've had. Yeah, by far, by far. So you think, you know, obviously, obviously the issues with Florida State, you know, if it, if this was next year, it wouldn't have been an issue. They would have been in the playoff. Uh, people would have debated, should they have played in those opening round games or should they have been able to get a bye? But at least they would have been in. It would have been a different dynamic for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think when we go to the new system, you know, 
you have a security blanket. So for a situation like that, where the team's not going to get left out completely, but then the, the debate will just shift to where they should be seated or, or where another team in that situation should be seated. I mean, we'll see what it's like once it gets going. I think one thing people haven't made, maybe necessarily fully accounted for is because they're reserving spots for those champions. And because we're going to go to four major conferences instead of five, you know, you could have situations where, a team is ranked 10th in the final poll, but they won the ACC. So they're the number three seed or the number four seed in the playoff and getting to take a bye. And whereas the number five team is playing in the first round, um, it would have been, you know, I think Florida state would have gotten one of those top four by default, right? Cause they'd be one of the four power conference champions, but you know, it, you know, I would say that the team that draw, you know, probably if you were a team that drew them in the playoffs, you'd be feeling better about drawing that team with the backup quarterback than maybe a lower ranked team that's at full strength. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, as well as I do, college football, unfortunately, has been uh, very reactionary over the years. So if something quirky ha happens in these first two years, do, do, do they tweak that format a little bit? probably if you and I were going to predict we'd probably say that's likely yeah um, well I mean keep in mind that they did the the proposal that it ended up you know coming to life was enacted or, or was was written before all the conference shuffling you know I mean that was right, right what became so contentious people were upset that Greg Sankey was part of that committee and then you know as soon as they announced or about a month after they announced it uh, he he made the first move of, of many dominoes. So I think they are going to have to make some adjustments because it wasn't, it was conceived for a different version of college football. Uh, we can get into that more later, but I mean, it, it was pre-NIL, it was early transfer portal, you know, immediate eligibility. A lot has changed since, since that format was first introduced, but that's the one they're going to market with. Let's talk about bowls for a minute. You've been a college football writer for two decades and have been to dozens of bowl games, playoff games, other games, bowl games that have had emerging programs, have great experiences, and then and then games that were duds as well. What are some of your best bowl season memories over the years? Well, I've told this story a million times, but my, you know, really the formative experience for me that turned me into, you know, a college football, you know, sold me on college football for life and and led to me getting into this profession is that I was a sophomore at Northwestern. When they in 1995, when they came out of absolute nowhere to win the Big Ten and go to the Rose Bowl for the first time in 47 years. And this was, you know, pre BCS when there was no higher goal, right, for a Big Ten team than to go to the Rose Bowl. So it was a huge deal. And getting out there. Um, also, I had never been to California. I'm from Cincinnati and getting out there, you know, it's probably a couple of days before New Year's and it's sunny and warm and there's palm trees. Um, and then you walk into, you know, the experience of walking into the, that stadium for the first time and seeing the painted end zones. I mean, it was heaven. It really was. And I feel like everything I've, I've done since then all started. I mean, that whole season was amazing, but really the Rose experiencing the Rose bowl firsthand really when it was at its peak, you know, was a, was an absolute formative experience since then, you know, in my professional career, I mean, that's the game I've covered the most by far. And I will always have an affinity for the uh, two fifteen p.m. Pacific kickoff and the sunset and all of that, even though its place in the system is changing. Um, you know, I think 
obviously the, the, the bowl season has changed dramatically since when I was, you know, first coming up in the business. Um, you know, one thing that's changed a lot because I do our bowl projections, as you know, um, it's impossible. I, know I watch them. Yeah. It's You're absolutely... more accurate than most Stuart, by the way. Well, I'm more accurate than most because we actually make some calls. Yeah. Um, don't, we don't just guess, but even then, I mean, you know, I made a lot of calls the week leading into the championship weekend and then Florida state gets left out and, and the whole thing, you know, the, what the bowl directors thought was going to happen didn't, didn't happen. So did you, did you pick Northwestern to be going to the Las Vegas bowl? Uh, I think no, because I'm trying to, uh, it's hard to rethink all that. at that point we thought Maryland was going, but then Maryland moved up. There's that whole domino effect. But what I was going to say is I have some nostalgia for the days when, um, you know, the bowl scouts would show up at the stadiums and the beat writers, like a lot of when I, my Intel back then would be the beat writers of the teams actually wrote stories about where is it looking like they're going to go. And they'd have quotes from the bowl scouts. And I think everybody's pretty much just given up at this point. It's they're just going to end up wherever the, you know, they get slotted. So, uh, you know, so uh, that's kind of my, you know, where I am kind of in my AI. It's funny at the Rose Bowl, I was talking to some some slightly older writers who were reminiscing about the days when the bowl matchups would get brokered in like late October. <laughs> and, you know, and that was a big deal to try to find out, like, who's the Fiesta Bowl? Who are they making a deal with and whatnot? Maybe, maybe, you know, part of me is like, hey, let's just go back to that. You know, let's have, have you want as long as we're going to be mixing and matching the teams the way we do, let's just do that. Well, I, I'll tell you this, you know, as, as we talk about solutions to how, how we fix college football, uh, how we fix some of the problems that are impacting the bowl system and, and make the bowl system more exciting. You know, I, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves here, but it might not be a bad idea. You, you slot the 12 teams and the, and the rest, maybe it's a little bit more of an open system instead of yeah. these kind of locked in spots that sometimes create mismatches. So you, you have the next two teams that, are, are excited to play and maybe they had breakout seasons and aren't necessarily disappointed that they're not in the playoff. Um, I think that could, that could, that could help the system a little bit, but we could talk about that uh, in a little bit. Now you wrote uh, back in 2007, you wrote the book bowls, polls, and tattered souls. Great name tackling the chaos and controversy over college football back in 2007. Now I was working, we, we knew each other then I was working at the big East conference for Mike Trangese. Uh, we were coordinating the BCS at the time. That was pre-Bill Hancock as an employee. And uh, the commissioners were taking yeah. a vacation to run it. And I was Mike's number two. Uh, crazy to think that's how it worked. Um, but the, the chaos and controversy over college football, I think relatively speaking in 2007, the, the chaos and controversy was mild compared to today um you know in some ways we've endured a lot of change in college football in the last decade and a half if you were to make a volume two what would some of the topics you choose to write about be well i mean it's funny you say that because i think the chaos and controversy over the bcs was much more nasty than has been over the cfp i mean you had situations where you know auburn goes 13 and 0 and but there's only two spots for three undefeated teams or the year that Texas beat Oklahoma, but then the tiebreaker caused Oklahoma to get in like that system by the end. And people just hate it. I mean, Dan Wetzel wrote that book death to the BCS. So people get upset about 
some CFP controversies, but not to the extent we were holding congressional hearings. Like the BCS, the BCS gave uh, the late Chris Dufresne uh, wrote at one point, like it was the, it was a perfectly imperfect system. And because it, it, it gave us so much fodder as sports writers, but you're right that other layers of the sport are now kind of more in the crosshairs. And I think, as I think back, um, you know, there was a chapter in there about realignment that seems so quaint now, like, Obviously, the Big East was was one of the more direct was the most directly affected at the time. But, um, you know, the chapter was called how Boston College and Clemson became neighbors. The idea being like at that time, it just seemed absolutely absurd that a, that a team from the Northeast was in a conference with a team from the Southeast. And here we are all these years later. And we've just blown so far past that. Well, well personally, I still think it's absurd, to be honest with you. But <laughs> that's my opinion. It's personal to me. I lived that. But yeah, yeah it's, it's. I mean, in an ideal world, the Northeast, the Big East would still be thriving. The Northeast would have its own conference. The West Coast would have its own conference. And it just, um, and I haven't picked up that book in a long time. But if I were, I bet the dollar figures that are mentioned in there in terms of like, why those schools left for the ACC would just seem so puny uh, compared to the billion dollar deals we're talking about now. I think that, I mean, obviously we've had transfer portal loosening and NIL and all that, but realignment has really changed this sport the, the most drastically of anything. Um, and we're only about to really see the the full effect of that. Well, let's dive into some of the, the newer issues of, of, of the day, right? That we didn't have back then. We didn't have three years ago, the, 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 the opt-outs, the transfer portal, the early signing period, the NIL. Um, I've been asked a lot, Stuart, in the past couple of weeks about how to fix the bowl system. And my answer has been pretty consistent. And, and, I'm, and I'm confident that I'm accurate in saying that bowl games and the bowl system are not the problem. The bowls themselves don't necessarily need to be fixed. They, we need, the, it needs to continue to evolve like everything else in college athletics. The problems are the unregulated circumstances that have been allowed to happen around them that are really affecting the entire sport in, in, in not too many positive ways, I don't think. And I mentioned the early signing period, the mid-year transfer portal window, NIL. Let's talk about some of those. You, you want to pick one first? <laughs> well, I mean, I <laughs> so think let's you're talk about some to... solutions, Stuart. Like how, how, do we, how do we fix these problems? Well, I keep getting asked the same thing about that crunch of everything happening at once in December. And, you know, there's not an easy solution. The, the easiest part is early signing day. I mean, personally, you know, just this past week, we've seen some huge commitment announcements for next year's class. Kids are verbally committing to LSU and whatnot. If, you know, if you want to have a truly early signing period, it should be before their senior season of high school. I also think that would help, um, you know, because a lot of high school players are getting squeezed out because schools are saving so many scholarships for the portal if if that got locked in earlier than it did so i would take one thing off the coach's plates but it's really yeah. not the thing that's taking up their time it's the portal and yeah. i don't have an easy answer for that because you know you know it's the academic calendar um kids that that are going to a new school want to be enrolled for january semester so they can participate in spring practice so i you know if people have said oh you should just wait until after the bowls to open the portal well that doesn't give you a lot of time to pick your new school and, and be enrolled in, in time for January, you know, 14th or whenever classes start. So um, 
I don't have a solution for that. I do think, and I know, I think you've said it and others too, you know, let, let's acknowledge the importance of NIL and let's stop beating around the bush about it. And there's, to me, you know, if you're going to have the Allstate Sugar Bowl, there's no reason why Allstate can't make some NIL deals with some of the star players to, you know, help make them feel better about the decision to play and not opt out. I don't know that you're going to prevent, um, I mean, the, the guys who are determined to go in the portal and go to their next school are going to do that. But some of these guys who are, you know, about to be drafted and um, are deciding, should I take the injury risk and play in the game or not, which frankly, you know, I don't know how high that injury risk really is or to the injury risk that would affect your draft stock. Um, yeah, let's, you know, I think a logical step would be to integrate some of those sponsors into the NIL world and, and some of the events surrounding the game. Good, good thoughts, Stuart. You kind of touched on all the issues a little bit. I'll do the same and then maybe we can focus on them one at a time a little bit. I think, I think in general, if you look at the NFL and obviously NFL is different than college, NFL can do whatever they want. It's not a lot of restrictions on the calendar other than, um, you know, holidays and whatnot, you know, they, they've made, uh, the year a calendar of events right and a calendar a good calendar is a sequence of events not a piling up of events all at one time right so you think about the nfl you got preseason regular season postseason uh combine draft free agency schedule release i might have a couple of those out of order but it's a nice sequence you know as i alluded to college football doesn't have that you know, why can't we try to have something similar where you have, you know, preseason, regular season, postseason, let it let it run its course, right? Get rid of that early signing period, right? Maybe move it earlier, like you said. I think the, the old way was not a bad way. It, it wasn't the worst having one signing period that, that first Wednesday in February. It, it was kind of a holiday for, for college football yeah. in a way. And that, I think that'd be a way to generate excitement at that time of year. Um, we, we created that early signing period because it made sense without all those other issues piled on top of it, but now it doesn't make sense. So I'd like to see that, you know, allow spring practice to have the, the college, I'm sorry, the high school recruiting period and signing day in February, spring practice, one transfer portal window, the end of the academic year in May. I think that would be a big, big help. And I know, I know, I know you, you said it semester ends. There's two semesters in college. I think if it is at all important for, for student athletes to graduate, having them commit to one full year academically is not a bad idea. I know it's, I know people are, are afraid to say, well, you can't do something or you can't play the following year and you don't have to do that. You don't have to sit out a year. If you're going to make a commitment to it, to uh, academically to an institution, it's for one full academic year. And if, if something happens where you don't go to school that second half of the year, well, you just can't go somewhere else. Right. I think a lot of that December transfer portal window for coaches, is get them in in the spring, get them in the spring. Let's get going. But if we could say, all right, there's a, there's a commitment and there's nothing wrong with holding people accountable to a commitment. I don't know about you, Stuart, but, I get paid to do my job. If I don't do my job, I don't get paid. So let's let's think about having one transfer portal window period in May. What do you think about that? 
I think in a vacuum, it would make perfect sense, right? Because of exactly what you said earlier, the NFL to me has always been geniuses at how can we keep ourselves in the news 365 days a year, right? There's no time of year where there isn't something going on in the NFL. But, you know, I think the problem is right now is that, you know, the courts have spoken and all signs lead, you know, it's hard at this point to put restrict, to put the genie back in the bottle. I think the NCA in general, the climate is to loosen restrictions. We've seen, you know, now we don't have a 25 scholarship limit per class. And, you know, I mean, we, it's crazy that it happened this way, but, you know, you had a, a one, um, a group of uh, attorney generals basically get the uh, second time transfer thing lifted, uh, at least temporarily. So it'd be one thing if we were doing this from scratch, but to say you've had the ability to transfer freely, now we're taking that away, seems to me to be the, the cause for the next lawsuit or the next politician to get involved. Um, I think that, I also think that, you know, the players would still transfer, right? Like you said, you know, you can't, you can put a rule in that says you can't participate in practice at your new school until the fall. But I think the athletes would still go ahead and get to their next campus. Um, Potentially. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, you're, it, it's not wrong, right? Like it doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, Ohio State's starting quarterback entered the portal, you know, two days after the Michigan game. By the, by the time the bowl game came around, he'd been gone for a month. It's um, And the other thing I would say is I think for years, we put restrictions on the athletes that we didn't have on the coaches. And so that's another tough one would be this. Why are you guys saying an, an athlete can't do that? An athlete has to wait till the end of the season, but a coach can still change jobs, you know, the morning after Thanksgiving or the, the, the Sunday morning after the last games, I, I think, on, you know, that precedent, I mean, you can remember Nick when coaches would get a new job, but stay with the team through the bowl game. And yeah. that, you know, nobody does that anymore in, yeah. in, in large part because of the calendar, because of the recruiting calendar and the, and the portal calendar. So it's a it's a it's a great idea in a vacuum. I don't know if it's practical. I do think you, you, you make a great point. Coaches have always been able to do what they want. Um, but people often leave out the fact that they do what they want with with ramifications. Right. There's often almost always big buyouts in these cases. You know, the student athlete now talk about the pendulum swinging, right? Now they can do whatever they want with no ramifications. Right. Right. Um, so that's where I think too. And that's, I think that's where Charlie Baker's biggest challenge is, is how do you, how do you have a system where, where you have all these new rules, but people are held accountable. You can't have this is happening in every sport. You can't have unrestricted free agency, you know, all year long, you know, sure the transfer portal windows twice, but you, you can, you know, people make their decision before that. I think there's gotta be some accountability in the system, some, some, some penalty, if you will. Like I said earlier, if, if, if you sign an agreement, you're obligated to fulfill it. If you don't fulfill it, you know, then you don't get paid what, what you were, you know, promised to get paid. Well, there's, there's one definite way to make that happen. And that's if they become employees and that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. And, you know, I personally think we're heading that way, whether it's, a year, three years, five years, 10 years from now, uh, just because the, the the legal climate. And then, and, and that sets off a whole other set of headaches, obviously. But one thing it would do is you could then 
sign a player to a contract and it says you are, you know, locked in here for a year or two years or three, whatever it is. And if you break that contract, like you said, there's going to be ramifications. Well, that leads into the player compensation. You talked about that, whether it's through NIL or a more formal method. You know, I, um, I think obviously finances plays a big part in, in student athletes decisions. I, I'm wondering if, you know, that we saw two years ago, uh, when, um, yeah, it was two, uh, last season, Alabama played Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. It was not a playoff game. Every single player on the Alabama roster participated. And I'm told that the university took out insurance policies for these players and said, look, we need you to play, but we have you covered. Um, again, I don't know if anything's going to solve all the problems, but, you know, that's something I'm going to talk about um, privately and publicly. The notion of should there be, a, you know, economies of scale, blanket, you know, insurance policy for all of bowl season, you know, including the playoffs. That might make sense uh, and, and be, be something good for a lot of people. Especially if we're going to the expanded playoff. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that we don't know yet will ha- if it'll happen, but I, I think it personally will, is guys opting out of the playoff because the agents are going to tell them you can't play another three or four games. That's too, too big a risk. Um, maybe maybe they're gonna they might opt out mid playoff they might play you know the quarters and the or the uh, first round and the quarters and then it gets to because also at some point they got to start preparing for the combine um i think you know you mentioned off the top right like the reactionary i think one of the first reactions is going to be oh crap we can't have this thing run all the way till january 20th that's you know the nfl deadline is or is you now you're, you're coming up on that you know, the combine is not that far away at that point. Um, I think they're going to have to shift the entire calendar of the sport earlier and have the playoff end around when it does now. Otherwise, yes, you might, if you're a, um, let's say a projected second round pick, I'm not talking like, you know, um, Caleb Williams here, second, third round guy, but you're entering the draft. The combine is going to, and the senior, you know, the senior now juniors are eligible for the senior bowl. Like, you got to go do those things. And I don't know that it's realistic to say, well, come on, you know, you're playing the national championship. You got to stay. The same financial decisions that are behind opting out of the rely quest bowl are going to start applying to the playoff. And I don't know that that's something that was part of the thought process when they um, came up with the calendar that they did. Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, and and, and, and when you're talking three or four, additional games at the end of the season that the new playoff is going to, you know, provide you backups are going to say, well, I don't need to play right now. People may not focus on the backup opting out, but over four games, that backup's going to need to step in in a lot of cases. So now you're going third in a really important moment in a game. Um, I don't know. It's just not going to be a good look. It happened in this in this playoff. It didn't get a lot of attention, but Malik Murphy, Texas's number two quarterback, um, you know, his team made the playoff and he entered the portal. Um, he it was his choice. He said that he needed he felt like he needed to get a start on visiting other schools. So if Quinn Ewers got hurt in the Sugar Bowl, it was going to be true freshman Arch Manning coming in and five star or not. It probably wasn't ready for that. So. Um, but I don't think it's just backups. You know, I think you got to worry about, um, you know, take Georgia, for example, all of their guys played other than I think Brock Bowers, 
uh, all their guys played in the Orange Bowl, right? And it showed. <laughs> yeah, and it showed. But that was the end of their season on December 30th. You know, next year, Georgia makes the playoff. And let's be honest, Georgia's probably making it pretty far in the playoff. And suddenly those guys that that were okay playing on December 30th now have to play uh, January 9th, January 20th, whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I think it's a problem. And um, I'm interested to see, I feel like the first, the, the, First two years of the playoff, which are the last two years of the current contract, become a bit of a trial balloon. Um, it's, you know, as we all know, right, you, need, you have to be unanimous to make changes and whatnot. 2026, everything's on the table. And um, right. I would be surprised if there aren't changes to that format. Yeah, well, this has been good discussion. I, I obviously no easy solutions. I think there's going to come a point in time. You made the point a few times, Stuart, that you know, things are hard and, you know, threat of litigation, whatever. I think at some point in time, the leadership in college football is going to, going to have to, got to use my words, right. Going to have to um, come up with a plan that's in the best interest of the sport and the best interest of the most, most people involved and take a little bit of a chance and saying, this is, this is what we need to do and not to not operate afraid. Uh, that's just my personal opinion, but. And that, that please, leads to the quick question who is the leadership of college football, right? Like, you know, you mentioned my book and I appreciate that. It's a, it's ancient history at this point, but one of the very first things in the book is the first thing you know about college football is that no one's in charge. And, you know, ostensibly the commissioners run college football, but the commissioners have their own, you know, their first interests, obviously their own conference. I mean, I think if you did have a, uh, a Roger Goodell of college football, a lot of this stuff would be a lot easier to enact, but it's a system that doesn't um, do well with, um, with moving fast. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, let's, let's move on. A few more questions, regardless of what gets fixed and how it gets fixed, but bowl season is here. It's not going anywhere. Uh, it's going to stay the same or it's going to get better, but, I make the case you can't deny the fact that college football needs more than 12 opportunities right. teams to play in the postseason, right? So it, it's year to year for some programs, but for many programs, the bowl game experience is really meaningful. The history is important. Um, I think about the fact that there are three emerging programs that won their first bowl game ever this year. I think about a school like Rutgers that, had to play in a division with Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, scraped together six wins, beat Miami in the pinstripe bowl. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you watched that game, but you see the reaction. I did. After how, yeah, I mean, you can't tell me that wasn't meaningful. Even a program like like Clemson, who's been there before, right? They were four and four, and people were writing them off, writing Coach Sweeney off. They win their last four games. They get to the Gator Bowl, beat an SEC team in Kentucky, get their ninth win for the 15th consecutive year, really important for them. Right. So talk about the role that the rest of the bowl games are going to continue to play in college football. Yeah. They're always going to play a role because there's so many teams, you know, I'll use my alma mater as a great example. Um, I don't think any Northwestern fan is under the delusion that they're going to be a regular contender for the 12 team playoff. So then what is a quote unquote good season for Northwestern? Well, this year after what, you know, the last couple of years had been before that, going seven and five, getting to the Vegas bowl and beating a very good Utah team was a hugely successful season for them. Right. I just wish that game had been a little bit later. The December 23rd date made it hard for fans to, to go to it. 
I think if it were later, a lot more Northwestern fans would have attended. So, you know, it's those are the schools I think about in terms of the importance of preserving uh, bowl games. Northwestern, Purdue, uh, Minnesota. Um, I'm just throwing out random examples. Rutgers was a good one. Um, these teams aren't going to the playoff. Maybe they will once in a blue moon, but they're not. You know, they're not threatening to to be regular playoff teams. Well, and they're certainly so never they, going to get there, Stuart, if they don't have the bowl system as as building blocks, stepping stones to get there. Right. So you need there needs to be a reward at the end of the season. Now, I also fully acknowledge that. I think in the SEC in particular, it's going to become playoff or bust because every one of those teams, except maybe Vanderbilt, thinks they should be a, a regular national championship contender. And they're just going to, you know, it's going to be either we made the playoff and it was a good season or we we missed it and, and we stunk, right? And so it's going to be harder to motivate those or keep those teams and those fan bases motivated to be interested in a non-playoff bowl. But, you know, I'm sure, you you know, your industry – would know much better than me kind of what they see the, the next iteration as, but I know there will always be a place for, um, for the bowls, for the kind of teams I'm talking about. The ones I worry about are the, the, how do you call it? Middle-class, the bowls that have, you know, people, the citrus bowl has a huge long, you know, Peyton Manning played in it and all these great players, right? But they're 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 almost like too high in the pecking order because the kind of teams they get are those teams that you know the they 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 if the things had gone a little differently in a couple of games they'd be in the playoff and are those fans still going to want to travel to Orlando for a game like that that's what we can't you know fully predict right now yeah i just i guess my hope is that people will um you know stop thinking about what the bowl season bowl system was and just embrace what it is today and the role that it does play. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, we say that bowl season and the college football playoff are together make college football's postseason, right? And it's really a celebration of the sport every year in December. And, and that's what we need to, to keep it as. I think, you know, there's two things I would embrace that, that have become noticeable here, especially this year. First of all, the Pop-Tarts Bowl, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, like these have become uh, in a very short time, like must see TV. They're fun, um, right, Stuart? I mean, they're, they're fun. It's fun, yeah. The fans love people on social media get into it. Um, you know, I would have to think, I'm not an expert on this, that more people watch those games than would have if there wasn't an edible mascot. <laughs> so, you know, that I would definitely embrace the fun. And then I would also just say, like, I know these are technically a culmination of the 2023 season. But in some ways, they're also a glimpse of next season. We got to see several major programs, you know, quarterbacks for next season make their. We saw Jackson Arnold make his first start. Nico at Tennessee, um, you know, unfortunately Devin Brown got hurt, but that's what uh, uh, Miller Moth at USC like goes out and throws yes. six touchdowns and makes his case for next year. Um, you know, I think maybe you know for the players, it's obviously a culmination of all their hard work. For the fans, maybe it becomes more of a sneak peek of, of what to expect next season. I think you're right, for sure. A uh, couple last questions for you. You're, um, what are uh, you've previously been a previously been a voter in the weekly college football AP top twenty five? Do you still do that or no? Is that something? Oh um, no that 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 was a long time ago. Uh, yeah. you I, I gave that? It, no, I gave it up pretty quickly. Uh, 
the it, I mean, it's prestigious. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was an honor to be included in it, but it's just such a um, mess to try to decipher because college football, like everything changes in it, you know, by the, from, from the time you wake up and watch game day until the end of the late night game, the whole, you know, landscape changes in an instant. And you got to kind of reprocess that in a very short amount of time. Um, I also think it's becoming harder and harder to do these rankings with bigger conferences, unbalanced schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see, because to this point, the committee has not behaved all that differently than the pollsters in terms of ordering it by losses. Um, next year, you know, the kind of schedule that uh, Ole Miss is going to play, it's going to be harder than the kind of schedule a team in the ACC is going to play. It's just the reality. And I'm interested to see if the committee is going to start treating it that way or if we're just going to kind of continue to default to zero before one one before two two before three mm-hmm. last question for you kind of a two-part question uh from a writer's perspective what makes the game of college football so compelling and so popular and what are some of your hopes for the sport as we enter the off season it's all about those fall saturdays uh i you know no other sport has a regular season that's as compelling and exciting where, like I said, you you wake up on Saturday morning thinking, I mean, there's just so many times that I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be focused on this game, this game, and this game. And then something completely different ends up being the game of the day, the biggest upset. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, that, yes, yeah, so obviously the focus on the national championship, but it's also on Kansas resurrecting its program. And, um, you know, the rise of James Madison, like there's all these other, stories around the country that that come up and hopefully that is preserved and not you know um i just think the games are exciting you know it's not like nfl sundays they're exciting too don't get me wrong but there's there's more scarcity in college football and there's more teams right there's more possibilities of of what's going to be what's you know what's going to be the big event today um what do i hope going forward i hope that the move to these super conferences doesn't um, kind of wipe away some of those things I just talked about that, you know, doesn't make it so that there's only a dozen teams that anybody is interested in. Um, You know, you look at what's happened to Oregon state and Washington state, they don't deserve that. Um, I hope that they can find a path going forward where their fans are still going to feel like they're part of the dance and not like, um, you know, completely disenfranchised. So um, it's going to be a much different sport. There's no question about it. And it's obviously a very TV driven sport, but let's not forget about, you know, people that go and, and I have many friends like this, they've been tailgating for 30 years and with the same people. And, you know, those seven Saturdays in the fall are kind of, they they build their whole year around it. And, um, you know, the, the experience of the actual college students, we saw the videos last night of the, the scene in Ann Arbor, like nothing better than being a college student at a school that's having success like that. So I hope we can, you know, I, I fully acknowledge it's a, it's a big TV show now, but I hope we can acknowledge also what, what happens on the campus level every week and uh, the, the, you know, what it does for school spirit and morale and all those, all those good things. Good thoughts there, Stuart. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Uh, you do a great job covering the sports, Stuart. I really 
appreciate your perspective on things. I, I think you're, you're usually fair. Uh, I appreciate your perspective on, uh, on the bowl system and understanding its, its place in the world of college football uh, moving forward. So thanks so much for joining us. Uh, catch your breath at the end of this uh, exciting uh, college football season, and you and I will talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. All right. Take care. Tax Act knows watching college football is fun. Doing your taxes? Not so much. That's why they make filing simple. So let's get them over with. Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. Bowl Season.